Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, stopping Putin. Zelensky on his way to the U.S. to make a last-ditch appeal for aid as Putin's top critic Alexei Navalny tonight is now missing. What happened to him and what could new billboards right now popping up in Russia have to do with his disappearance? Plus breaking news, the Supreme Court moving fast after the special counsel asked the justices to rule on one of Trump's main defenses. And a hypocrite? New K-File reporting reveals audio of the House Speaker slamming the same impeachment strategy he is now pursuing against Biden. A crucial vote scheduled for tomorrow. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, Russia's celebrating, laughing at the United States. Putin is watching the United States fight over funding Ukraine. And just look at Russian state television to see the celebration. What's happening in the U.S. is beneficial for us. Ukraine is losing. Russia is winning. This is it. Their funding and weapons came to an end. As of now, well done, Republicans. They're standing firm. That's good for us. Even Mitch McConnell, well done, Gramps. Well done, Gramps. Well, Russia is winning, you heard them say. Well, the fact is this. If Washington cuts Ukraine aid off, it's huge. It's absolutely huge for Putin, and it will be a huge win for Russia. Zelensky could be at the end of the road in that case, which is why he is now in Washington to make a desperate plea for aid, as Putin is choosing this moment to flaunt Russia's power today. Putin appearing in frigid zero-degree temperatures to show off two new nuclear submarines. You see them there. As Russia's military today launched one of its biggest attacks on Ukraine's capital. There were eight missiles, 18 drones that we are aware of. It was an offensive that follows Russia's plans to include four illegally occupied regions of Ukraine in its next presidential election. Hesitate to use the word as an election, of course, that is propaganda, a staged event, because any real opposition to Putin has already been destroyed. Literally so in some cases. I mean, look at Alexei Navalny. You know that story? We've all been following it so closely here. His spokesperson says the opposition leader is now missing. He failed to show up at a court hearing today. Of course, Navalny has been being held at one of Russia's harshest penal colonies, known as IK-6. Now, even there, as his lawyers have been able to see him, he's been able at times to send out messages, which include details about his treatment. Most recently, his team posted that Navalny is being tortured with his hands twisted behind his back as he's dragged around the prison. And quote, every day I undergo investigative procedures. But tonight, Navalny is now missing from IK-6. Now, We are aware that he was supposed to be transferred to an even more dangerous facility at some point. They never give an exact time there. A facility known as a special regime penal colony was where he was headed. But all we know tonight is that he missed a court appearance today. His lawyers have been denied visits with him for the past week, and the Russian government will not answer any questions. Navalny's team says they checked with the special regime colony that's closest to where he was last being held, that special regime colony known as IK-7, but he's not there. Now, he could be at one of the other reported 30 special regime colonies, some much farther away. But Russia's not saying. 
a Navalny spokesperson is now tonight saying this. The fact that we cannot find Alexei is especially alarming because last week he became ill in his cell. He became dizzy and laid down on the floor. The colony staff immediately came running, lowered the bed, laid Alexei down, and put him on an IV. Well, in a moment, I'm going to speak to Maria Pevchek, who is part of Navalny's inner circle. She's going to share the very latest here, some new details with us. But first, Nick Peyton Walsh is out front live. He's in central Ukraine tonight. And Nick, Ukraine's president, of course, headed to the United States to make that final plea for aid. What is the latest, though, on the ground where you are? Yeah, make or break, really, Zelensky's trip to D.C. to try and get aid flowing again and a palpable sense of anger amongst frontline troops we've been seeing over the past days. This is life and death for them, not political bargaining. If they don't get aid, their friends will die, their families may live under Russian occupation. We got a pretty good glimpse of what a hot peace with Russia in the future might look like in the town of Kherson, liberated late last year. But now with Russian guns just across the other side of the river, that it sits on. Yes, Ukraine is making gains on the other side of that river, unlikely ones, frankly, uh, but daily we saw how intense the shelling is on civilian areas. They're a ghost town, frankly. Ukrainian forces we were with using remarkable ingenuity to make up the gap between what they so desperately thought they would get from the West in terms of military aid and what they can lay their hands on right now. But there is a gulf there, and it's one that Putin is making a great advantage of. Here's what we saw over recent days. Out of Kherson city, past the bridge the Russians invaded and left on, you reach a new phase of hope and anxiety in this war. Down on the edge of the Dnipro River, on whose isolated right bank, lone groups of Ukrainians are making rare advances into Russian-occupied land. But its tiny tools, hand-rigged donated drones and small gains, the US is stalling on the big money Ukraine needs to make the breakthrough the West wants. And you can feel the anger at that here. It is relentless work. I think it'll be very difficult without American help, he says. Our supplies are also ending, so we need theirs. We've had days so busy, we launched 15 to 20, and I got 10 minutes rest between flights, the pilot says. I never imagined this would be my war. It's the PlayStation generation headsets directing cheap single-use drones on a one-way flight into Russian lines. It's just saying that the weather's cleared up, the fog was just settled over the river and the Russians are very aware of this threat and you can see them now trying to find a target. This keeps the Russians off the roads by day and helps Ukraine take ground. Now they manoeuvre towards a Russian checkpoint Killing here, somehow remote, yet also intimate. Another prized target emerges, their Russian equivalent drone unit hiding in a red-roofed house, worth sending two drones at. The first, as it closes in, taken out by jamming. The second picks it up. At night, another unit, elsewhere near the city, takes over. Thermal imaging help them find Russians hiding in the woods across the river near Krinki, a village where Ukraine has a valuable foothold. This unit too were hunted and use a cheap device to spot the frequency used by a Russian drone passing above. 
This operator dons a new cloak as he launches a drone off the roof. See how it reduces his heat signature, probably invisible to the Russians above. The night in battered Kherson city is no respite for civilians. Sirens, yes, but also a series of Shahid Russian attack drones. Lights off, lights off. They close on us. The motor whine lower as it passes over our heads. What? Anti-aircraft guns pierce the blackout. Now, Aaron, that noise, that shelling, picked up again this morning when we were there. An intensity you'd normally hear, frankly, if two rival armies were duking out for control of a town. But the Russians are on the other side of the bank, as I saw there with Ukraine making some success at pushing them back. The town itself, though, ghostly. The maternity hospital moving underground to keep its one patient or two patients safe. People constantly uh, looking for ways to fortify their homes, leaving the playground surrounded by fortification barriers there. That's the kind of life, essentially, that Ukrainians are looking forward to if indeed they find themselves living so close to Russian occupying forces, Erin. Nick, thank you very much. And Kriver Reed tonight. And now to Fred Plaikin, because, Fred, we were talking about Alexei Navalny in the context of those occupied regions and Putin going to have them uh, vote in the Russian elections. Well, Navalny is the chief, uh, obviously, opposition leader, and he's been in a penal colony. His team says he's missing now. They don't know where he is. Is there any information coming out of Russia at all about Alexei Navalny's whereabouts tonight, Fred? Well, you know what, Aaron, there isn't. And, and one of the things that we really have to make our viewers aware of is just the difficulties that Alexei Navalny's associates and his legal team are dealing with in all this. Because you already mentioned that he was supposed to appear via video link uh, at a hearing today in front of a court from the penal colony that he'd been in so far. And he just didn't show up for that. Well, at first, the lawyers were told that there was simply a power failure in the jail that he was in. But then they kept asking questions. And in the end, finally, the staff of that jail said, well, he's actually, actually not even on the list anymore as being one of the inmates of this prison. And that's when the legal team called around to other colonies, like, for instance, that IK-7 uh, that you were talking about, which is even harsher and could be one of the places that Alexei Navalny is supposed to get transferred to. And none of them said that Alexei Navalny was there. Now, of course, all this is cause for grave concern uh, among the people from the Anti-Corruption Foundation, of course, among Alexei Navalny's family as well because he's had those health issues over the past couple of weeks, because they say that he fainted in his cell and had to get an IV. Now, there could be several reasons for what is going on right now for Alexei Navalny uh, being missing, essentially, within the Russian prison system. One of them uh, is uh, that uh, it's not unheard of for prisoners as they get transferred to be out of communication for a while. But of course, this also coincides, Aaron, with Vladimir Putin announcing that he's running for president again on March 17th. And there was an action by the Anti-Corruption Foundation where they managed to put up billboards trying to dissuade Russians from voting for Vladimir Putin. Aaron? All right. And those billboards uh, obviously caught a lot of attention. Thank you so much, Fred. Out front now, Maria Pevchek. She is part of Alexei Navalny's inner circle. She helped him uncover who had poisoned him, as we saw in the documentary Navalny. She is head of investigations and the board chairwoman of Navalny's anti-corruption foundation. And Maria, we all so much appreciate your time tonight. So we were just talking about those billboards. Do you think Navalny's disappearance has anything to do with them? 
and with Putin's re-election efforts? I think so. It is a very likely scenario um, if you just look into the timings. Uh, Navalny disappeared on Tuesday last week and the official elections were um, announced on Thursday. And this was also the day when we announced our campaign, our anti-Putin, anti-war campaign. And this billboards, this lovely billboards they said that say Russia. Um, they are part of our campaign. And if you scan a QR code, you will get to our website and this was um our little fun project so of course um putin wants his re-election to be as smooth as possible he likes his opponents to be silent and i, I think it is possible to connect navalny's disappearance to that how is it possible to even to get those billboards up well, that's that's going to remain our little secret. Um, but okay, I'm going I'm going to share a little bit. So essentially, we pretended that uh, we are advertising something else, and the billboard literally just says Russia, and then some of them had say Russia Happy New Year, and then there is a QR code. And when we submitted them for review, the QR code um, had a link to one website. And when they were actually up and we were, when we were ready to announce, we substituted the link and the link uh, was leading to a completely uh, different um, website. And um, so it was um, just, yes, just a little trick that we that we played and installed those billboards in, in a few like major Russian cities. And obviously the kind of creativity that, that you have long employed to, to be able to get your message out at all inside Russia. I mean, Maria, do you, what do you think is happening to Alexei Navalny right now? You talk about him being missing for a week. Do you have any sense of, of where he might be, of what might be happening to him, anything at all? Um, to, be, to be frank, Erin, we have no idea. And that's the scariest thing about it. Um, there is no way of knowing. Um, we had um, a, a very good system of at least being able to check whether Alexei is alive on almost daily basis because he was scheduled to appear in court. Uh, his lawyers would visit him. and But since since last uh, Tuesday, he just stopped showing up in, in court. And the court administration would say that they can't establish a video link with his penal colony because of a power cut. Because there are some apparently some you know problems with electricity in his federal colony, and then the day after the same thing happened, electricity problems again, and then the lawyers weren't allowed to come in. They were told to wait and, and like freezing cold for hours and hours and hours, um, and then at the end of the day they would be just told that the visiting hours are over and they should come tomorrow. So they would and wait and wait again with no news whatsoever. And today was another court hearing where, where Navalny was scheduled to appear. And um, we've heard the same story about the power cut. Um, so this is when we realized that things are serious and um, that he has been missing for almost a week. Uh, but as I said, the, the, the most frightening part of this entire situation is that we have no way of locating him. We have no way of knowing where he is, how he feels, or... Um, for that matter, whether he's alive or not. And which, of course, is the, the, the most difficult question, but I have to ask you, I mean, do, do you have any any visibility on that? Obviously, he suffered from ill health. Obviously, they, they have put him um, through some horrific situations in the penal colony he's already been in. Uh, and on top of it, we know that a week 
before he has gone missing. So two weeks um, ago, he had some um, health-related um, situation. And we know that the doctors, the prison nurses, have been called called in and they have given him some medication, some treatment and IV. Uh, I think uh, we're not allowed to know what exactly happened, but we know that there was this health-related incident. And then a few days a few days later, he, he goes uh, missing. Um, it goes without saying that um, Navalny's life is in, in, in great risk. Well, Maria, thank you very much for taking the time to share all Thank this with us tonight. Thank you. All right, and next, the breaking news. The Supreme Court moving very fast. Special counsel Jack Smith asked the justices to weigh in on one of Trump's main defenses. Former Trump White House lawyer Ty Cobb is gonna join me next. Plus, new K-File reporting this hour that the House Speaker Mike Johnson is now moving ahead with an impeachment strategy that he once railed against. They openly said and wrote about, spoke about how it might be irreparable damage to the country. And new video of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un mobbed by an emotional group of children. We'll tell you what's going on. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news, the Supreme Court moving fast, saying it would quickly decide if it will hear a case about whether former President Trump can be prosecuted over alleged crimes he committed in office. The development coming after special counsel Jack Smith requested an expedited hearing by the court. Now, the quote, extraordinary request, as Smith calls it, was made after Trump argued that his alleged attempt to subvert the 2020 election results was part of his official duties as president. Now, the special counsel really wants to keep Trump's trial date on schedule. And in, in doing that, he wants it to begin in less than three months. So that's why he did this uh, incredibly rare thing, going and asking the court to resolve the issue definitively, skipping the appeals process. Former Trump White House lawyer Ty Cobb is out front now. So Ty, special counsel bypassing the appeals court process, going directly to the Supreme Court, asking it to weigh in on Trump's historic prosecution uh, for the first time. Supreme Court then quickly agrees to consider it, right? They could have taken a lot longer to give a yay or nay on whether they'd even look at it. So what does the, um, the speed with which they conducted themselves today tell you? 
Well, so I think Jack Smith has has made an argument um, that has to clear two hurdles. It has to to demonstrate, you know, uh, compelling national interest, um, and and it has to be urgent. I think what the Supreme Court did today uh, in responding immediately and uh, requiring uh, Trump to respond by next Wednesday uh, suggests that he's cleared the urgency hurdle. Um, and I think the um, I, I think that's to the credit of the Supreme Court. I don't think uh, there have been uh, many cases where uh, certiorari before judgment, as it's called, has been sought that are really more urgent um, to the to the nation and certainly to the Constitution uh, than this case. So there's also a, a new filing from Jack Smith today, Ty, that we just found out about, and I wanted to ask you about it. In, in all of this, he reveals that his team got access to Trump's cell phone, the cell phone that he used mm-hmm. while at the White House. Uh, now, we should note, of course, Trump is never known to have texted from his cell phone, but nonetheless, it would be his cell phone and, and, and his records. Uh, and that Smith may use data from the phone to show jurors when Trump was using Twitter on January 6th and to show what he was doing in the aftermath of the 2020 election. So we had not known that Smith has Trump's cell phone data until today. This is the first we've learned that in this filing. What do you think about it? How significant is it or it it might not be? So, you know, it may or may not be significant, but the fact that uh, he put it in his filing and put the court on notice suggests that he thinks it's significant and uh, likely, you know, likely will demonstrate, um, you know, the, you know, who, if anyone Trump was talking to, who, if anyone he was messaging uh, and from where in the White House. Um, I think the where is important because you remember there is a lot of testimony that he was, you know, locked in the dining room, basically watching, you know, watching everything unfold on TV. Um, so this would buttress uh, buttress that um, if if it aligns. Right, right. And of course, you know, it'd be, it'll be fascinating to see, as you say, if since he put it in, if that means he thinks it's significant, was he sending some of these tweets himself or not? Uh, you know, uh, we're going to find out, I suppose, maybe some of this. Um, Trump declined to tie today at the very last minute to testify in his civil fraud trial in New York, as everybody thought he would. You were actually uh, someone who said that that maybe he wouldn't. When I spoke to you last week, you went against conventional wisdom. You questioned whether he'd take the stand. And you said his lawyers wouldn't want him to do it, Ty, because he'd be subject to what you called eviscerating cross-examination. So you were right. He didn't do it. But you weren't sure because you weren't sure whether he'd listen to his lawyers. Why? I mean, why do you think he did not testify? So I, I think... I, I think... It appears to me that his lawyers, you know, kept pounding away on the cost-benefit analysis of him testifying. He really has nothing to add to the evidentiary um, uh, pile in this case uh, at this stage of the game. He's already testified, um, yeah. and, and and in an unhinged manner, uh, he made multiple, multiple admissions uh, that severely damaged his case. He was not an effective witness, no, no matter, you know, uh, what the PR is from, from the other side. Um, uh, certainly, as a as a legal matter, uh, and and at, as I said, I think last week that the reality is, if he testifies, you know, the, the he's not going to get cross examined much on what he has to say. He's going to get taken through a litany of all the lies that he's told during the relevant period for this trial and subsequently. 
And, you know, you could do that for days, but, you know, I'm sure they would probably take the top 40 hits and expose him as someone with no credibility. And that doesn't help him politically. No, it, it certainly doesn't. As you point out, I, he has been using this trial as a political political megaphone such that he's been using it, right, showing up when he's not even testifying just to get those few seconds uh, outside to talk to the cameras. All right. Thanks so much, Ty. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Aaron. All right. And next, the K-File, uncovering audio from before Mike Johnson was speaker when he was slamming what is now his impeachment strategy. The founders were afraid that if if, if politicians ever weaponized that function in the Congress, then you would open a Pandora's box that couldn't be closed. Plus, the Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu facing questions about whether he allowed Hamas to get millions of dollars in donations for years. It's a CNN special report. Tonight, impeaching Biden, a key House committee voting on an impeachment inquiry against President Biden tomorrow. House Speaker Mike Johnson is moving ahead with votes despite new reporting from CNN's K-File uncovering that Johnson once warned that this exact same impeachment strategy, the one that he is now championing, could cause, quote, irreparable damage to the country. So here's Johnson talking about Democrats' push to impeach then-President Trump back in 2019. The founding fathers warned us. I mean, they feared a single-party impeachment. And the reason they said that is because they knew that it would bitterly divide the country. And, and they, they openly said and wrote about, spoke about how it might be irreparable damage to the country. The founders were afraid that if, we, if, if politicians ever weaponized that function in the Congress, then you would open a Pandora's box that couldn't be closed. All right, Andrew Kaczynski of the K-File is now out front. So, you know, Andrew, I mean, it's clear how he felt, right? But he didn't just say it one time. He said it repeatedly again and again when he was making this argument against the Democrats. Yeah, that's right. You heard him right there. It would cause irreparable damage to the country. And just four years ago, he was attacking Democrats for opening an impeachment inquiry uh, into Trump along party lines uh, with just Democratic votes and so close, just 11 months to an election. And that's the exact scenario that he finds himself in right now as he's pushing ahead with all this. You heard him say in those clips where he warned uh, about this Pandora's box scenario that he said uh, would happen where essentially you would have this tit for tat where every opposing party in the House was now going to be impeaching uh, the president. And this could happen now. And the only reason that could happen is because of Mike Johnson. So this nightmare scenario that he warned about, he is essentially bringing to fruition. I I think I want people to listen just a little bit more of what he said uh, in 2019 about this. Okay. If you're the majority party in in the House and you don't like the president of another party, you think his policies are wrong or you don't like the way he communicates or whatever it is, you can just manufacture charges and go after him and try to remove them. But that's not how our, our constitutional republic was designed to work. There is a check on the president. It's called the next election cycle. That's why they only serve four years. The voters get to decide that. And we have an election coming up in this country in 11 months. Let the people decide on Donald Trump. Yeah, you heard him right there. Let the people uh, decide. And that 11 months from now, that's the same distance we are from. 2024 election. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's literally apples for apples. I mean, 11 months. It's incredible. Now, you did speak to a lot of experts about the differences between Trump's impeachment then and uh, 
the possible, now looking likely, impeachment uh, hearings uh, for Biden now. What did they tell you? Yeah, that's right. We spoke to five. And one of the things that Johnson repeatedly said was that Democrats were using what he called gerrymandered facts to impeach Trump. He said they were doing this solely for this predetermined political outcome in which they were just impeaching Trump to undermine his political standing as we moved into the next election. And many of the experts that we spoke to said that's exactly what they think Johnson is doing right now. Um, one of them who we spoke to, they, they all sort of noted that this case is a lot weaker. Uh, and one of them who, who we spoke to said this is built on disjointed theories based on scraps of evidence that don't even directly implicate the president. So we then we went to Johnson's office. We asked them uh, about all this, and they essentially told us with this impeachment inquiry, they're going to follow the facts uh, and they're only going to pursue it uh, if they think the evidence warrants impeachment. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you very much. And of course, we'll see how that goes. I want to go now to the Republican Congressman Ken Buck. He's on both the House Judiciary and Foreign Affairs Committees. So, Congressman, I know you've, you've, you've talked about this, you've thought about this, but I want to ask you about uh, Andrew's latest reporting here for the K-File. Uh, but first, how do you plan to vote on this impeachment inquiry into President Biden if the House Rules Committee does move it forward uh, tomorrow? Aaron, I'm struggling right now, I have to tell you. On the one hand, I have come out strongly and said that there is no direct evidence linking President Biden to the activities of, of Hunter Biden. Um, and I have, uh, at the same time, the White House recently sent a letter um, after uh, these committees issued subpoenas to the White House. The White House sent a letter back and says, you haven't held a, 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 an impeachment inquiry vote yet, and we're not going to give you any records until you uh, pass an impeachment inquiry. Um, I think that is an absolutely wrong position, and it's a delay tactic, which would uh, necessitate Congress going to the courts and having the courts enforce the subpoena. So I, I wish the White House hadn't done that. I don't think there is direct evidence. I'm struggling, uh, and I, I want to read the resolution before making mm -hmm. a final decision on whether to vote for it or not. So just to, you know, and, it, and it's interesting because you, I understand what you're talking about at the process and they're handling it. You've got frustration. But I, I, focusing in on the facts that you say that at this point you haven't seen any evidence of facts that would link those two things together. Um, a week ago, the Speaker Johnson made clear that he is all in on moving forward with this impeachment inquiry because of the facts. Here's what he said. The facts are so uh, clear for everyone to see. The evidence is so clear you cannot look away. And the Constitution requires the House to follow the truth where it leads. We, we, we have a duty to do this. We cannot stop the process. Well, of course, he can stop it. I mean, he's the speaker, right? But what he's doing, as, as Andrew pointed out in the K-File reporting, Congressman, as you know, is exactly what he said in 2019 with President Trump was such a, a threat to the entire country. Uh, let me just replay that. What happens a few years from now, um, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you have a Democrat in the White House and you have a Republican majority in the House. They're going to demand that they be impeached because you've now set the bar so low that that we're going into tribal politics now. I mean, if you think politics were divided before this, heaven help us. Well, obviously not 10 or 20 years, right? Just just, just uh, four years. So what do you say to Speaker Johnson about the argument that he's making? He's basing it on the facts, and he's now, and he's now supporting the very thing that he said was, was so terrible a few years ago. 
Well, he was absolutely right in 2019. Uh, th this is not the way to run a Congress. It's not the way to run a House. We should not be engaging in retribution politics and retribution impeachments. Um, I believed and, and, uh, and voted against the first impeachment, uh, both impeachments of President Trump, but particularly the first impeachment. Um, I didn't think it was there, and I thought it was wrong for uh, Speaker Pelosi to bring that. Um, I also think uh, the evidence is not, uh, does not warrant an impeachment at this point. We're talking about an impeachment inquiry, and, and that is a, a more formal way of beginning the process. I still have reservations about that until you have some evidence that links Joe Biden's actions with, with the money that Hunter Biden received. Yeah, well, it does seem you end up in a cycle, right, where you, one party gets power, they impeach the other. Uh, then that uh, seems to be how, the only way that anybody would be spending their time, which, of course, is not. Not good for the country. All right. Thank you very much, Congressman. I appreciate your time. Always good to talk to you. Thank you. All right. And next, as Israel intensifies its strikes on Gaza, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is under fire for actually helping prop up Hamas with millions of dollars. A CNN special report is next. Plus the satellites, the military, the nuclear tests. Where is Kim Jong-un getting all of the money to pay for all of that? Well, here's a special report. You'll see some of exactly where. The assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. New tonight, brutal battles raising, raging across Gaza. Israel intensifying its attacks on Hamas remaining strongholds there, where the IDF said it is fighting, quote, the fierce and difficult battles. They've struck more than 250 Hamas targets in the Gaza Strip in just one day. Those are their own numbers. It comes as the fate of the 137 known remaining hostages hangs in the balance. Hamas threatening to kill them if its demands are not met. All of this, as we are learning, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu may have been propping up Hamas with millions of dollars. ML Bagger is out front. Israel's mourning continues even as the clamor around Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu grows, questioning whether his policies helped prop up Hamas. In a series of interviews with key Israeli players, CNN and the Israeli investigative platform Shomrim were told how Netanyahu allowed Qatari cash donations to Hamas for years without supervision, despite concerns from within his own government. $30 million per month. Per month. Okay. $360 million. Mm. It's more than a billion shekel. Mm. That's simple mathematics. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. Dollar in Gaza is like uh, $20 in US. For them, it was like a relief. It was like oxygen. Can you live without oxygen? No. So it's dramatic, historic mistake. Former Israeli Prime Minister and former Defense Minister Naftali Bennett says he was among those repeatedly raising concerns to Netanyahu. When Bennett became Prime Minister in 2021, he put a stop to the suitcases of cash to Hamas, moving the transfer of financial support to Hamas from cash to a UN mechanism. I stopped the cash uh, suitcases because I believe that's a horrendous mistake to 
allow Hamas to have all these suitcases full of cash that goes directly to rearming themselves against Israelis. Why would we feed them cash to kill us? The cash deliveries were supposed to help, among other humanitarian needs, pay Gaza's civil servants. And pictures in 2018 showed workers lining up to receive $100 bills. Israel approved the deal in a security cabinet meeting in August 2018, during a previous Netanyahu tenure as prime minister. An Israeli official defended Netanyahu's decision, telling CNN successive Israeli governments enabled money to go to Gaza, not in order to strengthen Hamas, but to prevent a humanitarian crisis. That's true, but no one else approved it in cash. Former Prime Minister Bennett says that Netanyahu underestimated Hamas. I think uh, the approach towards Hamas was one of a sort of a nuisance-type terror organization that can shoot rockets, can cause uh, a bit of uh, havoc here and there, but not much more than that. So underestimated. And uh, uh, Absolutely. Um, and uh, in that sense, we, we've learned a lesson. We have to believe our enemies. This lesson has become a turning point for Israel. One even longtime Netanyahu allies like Zvika Hauser acknowledge. That was an, a strategic lesson for the Israeli society that you can talk a lot about peace. You can try to do a lot of things. You can come to the White House to the, the, and, and get some uh, Nobel Prizes. But in some point, enough is enough. And if you ask me what symbolized October 7, October 7 mostly symbolized to the Israeli society no more take risks. Risks such as this, heeding the toll of human suffering and international calls to slow the pummeling of Gaza before Israel is satisfied Hamas has been destroyed, whatever the cost. And that clamor to course correct, Erin, is not just domestic. Many international observers have been telling us that they are worried that there's pressure on Netanyahu to be seen to correct his mistake could be impacting the willingness of those in Israel's government to take into account the real concerns over the loss of civilian lives. Erin? All right, Nema, thank you very much in Tel Aviv uh, tonight. And next, North Korea's Kim Jong-un, mobbed by a horde of hysterical children. What's going on here? All that touching is unusual. Plus, Oscar-winning director Steven Spielberg bracing his silence about the October 7th terror attack in Israel. All right, we've got some new video. Look at this. This is the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, surrounded by adoring children, hugging their dear leader. You see him there, smiling. All in. This was at North Korea's fifth national conference of mothers. Now, much of the loyalty that Kim demands uh, is rooted in his promises to destroy the West with his nuclear arsenal that we are now learning was funded by billions of dollars, billions of dollars in stolen crypto. Will Ripley is out front. Every North Korean missile test, every satellite launch, every nuclear test likely cost Kim Jong-un's cash-starved country millions of dollars. Where does that money come from? How does Kim's regime evade heavy sanctions? 
advancing its nuclear and ballistic missile programs at breakneck speed. We certainly believe that North Korean hacking of cryptocurrency around infrastructure around the world is a major source of revenue for the regime. A staggering more than $3 billion in stolen crypto over the past five years, U.S. lawmakers say. A record $1.7 billion last year alone. So where does that money go? Straight into North Korea's illegal nuclear program. An underground pipeline of illicit wealth, fueling Kim's nuclear ambitions. Pumping payments into Pyongyang from places like Russia, China, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Vietnam. Does that pose a threat to our national security? It does, Senator. The U.S. believes North Korea has a global shadow army, secret operatives posing as IT professionals, government officials, freelance blockchain developers, even hiring Westerners to hide their connection to Pyongyang. Spanish police arrested Alejandro Caldebenos earlier this month, known as a special delegate for North Korea. The U.S. accuses him of helping North Korean officials use tech for money laundering. He posted a message on X, formerly known as Twitter, saying... There is no extradition. The U.S. accusation, besides being false, does not exist in Spain. Blacklisted by the U.S. as modern-day digital pirates, North Korean operatives are linked to ransomware attacks, targeting online gaming, gambling, and banking industries, even American hospitals. North Korea exploiting online vulnerabilities, using stolen money to mass-produce missiles, funding the Kim family's lavish lifestyle, palaces, planes, yachts, and this armored Mercedes limousine carried on Kim's private train to that September summit with Russian President Vladimir Putin. The latest breach from North Korea's notorious Andariel Hacking Group, targeting South Korean defense firms and others. A year-long investigation by South Korean police and the FBI, exposing grave vulnerabilities in Seoul's cybersecurity defenses. Around 250 sensitive files, 1.2 terabytes of classified data stolen, a crime concealed through rented servers. A secretive trail of digital deception leading straight to the North Korean capital, breaching borders, defying digital defenses threatening global stability. Well, it's amazing to see these numbers. And Bitcoin now has posted steepest drop in about four months today, right? The value of it uh, down dramatically over the past couple of years. I mean, crypto overall has taken a huge hit. So in this context that you're talking about, about all these billions of dollars coming in, how is Kim now still making money off of this stolen currency? No, you're right, Aaron. It has fluctuated so much. In 2020, it was down to 4,000. In 2021, up to 69,000, as you know. But North Korea took this Bitcoin and then they laundered the money. They learned how to basically invest it in businesses that in friendly countries like Russia and China, whether mm. it be like a cargo business or real estate, even restaurants. So it's this really complex financial web that's making money for North Korea, those investments from Bitcoin, and it's very difficult to trace. Now, North Korea is also making a lot of money by doing something called Bitcoin mining, where they verify transactions, basically like solving mathematical equations. It requires a huge amount of energy. But guess what, Aaron? Because North Korea can't export its coal, they use that coal, they burn it to create the energy to do Bitcoin mining, even though the nation is notorious for blackouts for most of the population, most of the time. Wow, that is amazing to do the Bitcoin mining and to use that coal. All right. Thank you very much, Will Ripley. Next, Steven Spielberg, the Oscar-winning director of Schindler's List, speaking out for the first time about the October 7th terror attack on Israel. Tonight, Steven Spielberg breaking his silence after the October 7th terror attack in Israel. Spielberg, who directed the Oscar-winning Holocaust film Schindler's List, saying, quote, I never imagined I would see such unspeakable barbarity against Jews in my lifetime.
Spielberg also announcing that his USC Shoah Foundation, which records and preserves interviews with Holocaust survivors, will now also be collecting accounts from people who survived the October 7th attacks. Thank you very much for watching. It's time now for AC360. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 